John chapter 21, a great question. A great question is what we want to bring before you this morning. That's just a wee word of prayer as we come to the preaching of God's word. Father in heaven, we thank thee for help given. We thank the Lord for the praise that has been offered. The scriptures have been read. Prayer has been made. Oh God, Lord, we thank thee for this place of worship. And we ask, Lord, that thou would bless us now as we come even to this passage. Give us understanding. O Spirit of the living God, fall afresh upon us, we pray. And to that end, I pray, thou would fill me with the Spirit of God, with power. O God, give us that power from above that we might preach as thus, and thus saith the Lord, and apply the word even to each individual heart. We ask in our Savior's name. Amen. That Sabbath we were considering the warning that the Savior gave to Peter and to the other disciples from Luke chapter 22. The other disciples, of course, they failed to watch and pray in Gethsemane. And they too were to fail as we read that they all fled. They all forsook him and fled when the soldiers came to arrest the Savior. But for Peter, there was that indication that he would fail. Specifically, he would deny the Lord, the one who had saved him. And men and women, between Luke chapter 22 and John 21, that denial happened. There's the bitter weeping of Peter as the Savior turns and looks at him. There is the crucifixion of the Savior upon the place called Golgotha. There is also the visual appearance to Peter and John of the stone rolled away and of the emptiness of that tomb as he and John witnessed on that resurrection morning. But despite the sight of that, and despite the fact that the Lord had appeared in their midst in that upper room, we find Peter here in John 21 going back to his old life and taking six other of the men with him. The brash statement of Peter is found in verse 3. I go a-fishing. Was he trying, was he toying with the idea of forsaking the work of the Lord? You can be sure that it wasn't the Lord leading him back into the uh, fishing business for that night, along with the others. Those experienced fishermen, we've read it, haven't we? They caught nothing. They caught nothing, even though it was night, the best time to fish. Even though they were out in the depths, the best place to fish, they caught nothing. Sometimes the Lord permits the disappointments so as to teach his greater lessons. But that next morning was to be life-changing, as to, in terms of direction, at least, that they were going. For from the shore and from a solitary figure was heard the command to cast the net on the other side of the boat. Just the width of the boat was the difference. But this command was cast the net on the other side of the boat. And men and women, failure is turned into success. The difference? That's the Lord, you see. The Lord was the one who was in charge. 
The risen Christ had come that morning to meet with Peter especially. Maybe the Lord has you in this meeting house this morning for that very reason. At the commencement that we might say of a new term of the work of the Lord. We're entering into the autumn's work. You know there's always needs in a practical sense. There's certainly the need that we know the guidance and that we know the direction of the Lord. That we would seek to spread the gospel. We would take the good news to those whom he would desire us to take it too. But you know there's an even deeper need for us all. And that need is revealed by the great question. And the great question is in the words of my text in verse 15 where Jesus says to Simon Peter Simon son of Jonas lovest thou me more than these? What a question. Let me consider with you the inquiry here. The disciples are laden with 153 fish in their nets. And they were to make their way to the shore. When they found that the Savior had already the fire burning and the fish cooking. Breakfast was already underway. The one who supplied the ravens with the meat for to bring to Elijah is the God who made the fish, is the God who knew where the fish were. I want you to try and picture this scene in your mind's eye. It's a beautiful picture. The Lord does nothing by chance. There's nothing by chance in your life or of mine. He's a sovereign Lord who is in control of all things and orders all things after the counsel of his own will and for the good of his people. You remember that? For the good of his people. And sometimes that is not always the easiest thing to discern. But as Peter waded his way to where the Lord was, I want you to see this. Look at the words of verse 8 and 9. Now their disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were, 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes. There's a scene there of great difficulty. There's five other men and they're dragging this, this net. It's full. Look at the words of verse 9. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. And you might read over verse 9 very quickly. You might go on into verse 10 thinking nothing about that. But men and women, I would pause there because that fire of coals would have disturbed the conscience of Peter. For cast your mind back to the night of the Savior's arrest. Cast your mind back just three chapters or so to where Peter warned himself. And you'll find in John 18 verse 18, the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals. The exact same phrase. For it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. They were just like the fire that he had warmed himself at the night in which he had denied the Lord. Three times. Indeed, the word used is the same in both places. There's only one other place in the New Testament. And where it is found, I'll read it to you. Romans chapter 12, and the words are verse 20. And it says there, Therefore if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. 
There's the only three times that that little phrase you will find in the entire scriptures. The Savior was about to feed the one who had denied him and had all the signs on that never-to-be-forgotten night that he was a, 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 a counterfeit. Just like others, just like Judas. Look at verse 12 of our chapter it says, And Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask them, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. But after they ate their breakfast, it was then that the Lord was to make this inquiry. I, I, I have a picture in my mind's eye. They're all assembled there around that little coal of fires. And they've all partaken of the breakfast. And the Lord maybe is indicating to Peter, Come on, a little distance with me. Just let's walk along the shore here a piece. Because I want you to notice it was an inquiry that was personal. This is nothing to do with the other disciples. It was only Peter who denied the Lord, remember? This was a meeting with one particular man and an inquiry of the heart, an inquiry of the soul of Simon Peter. And we're given even the manner in which the Lord here addresses him. He doesn't call him Peter. Verse 15, you'll notice it, the very name which the Lord gave him, he doesn't use that name, but he calls him by that name he was known by in his unregenerate days, Simon, son of Jonas. And maybe the reason being was the night when he denied the Lord, he just acted as if he was unsaved. He acted certainly that he was a counterfeit, for he knew, we know that he told lies, we know that he denied the Lord. We know the manner in which he did that. It was in the, with oaths and curses of his old nature. The Lord didn't minimize, you see, the seriousness of his offense. Nor did he conceal the root of the problem, the old nature, the old heart. But he spoke to him in such a way that showed Peter that the Lord knew everything about him. And I want you to note that this inquiry was poignant. He doesn't inquire of Peter, did he honor him? Did he respect him? He doesn't even ask Peter, dost thou fear me? His inquiry was more poignant than any of those things. He was inquiring of his love for the Savior. There's, this was a matter of the heart. This was about a state between him and the Lord. And while this inquiry could be rightly put to each one in this meeting this morning, yet there is a special reason why it was put to Peter. The Lord had just cause to suspect his love had waned because he had been ashamed of the Lord in his sufferings. And now it was followed by him going back to the old trade of fishing. And the ironic thing was that this was the very same disciple who had affirmed his full support for the Lord. Oh, he wouldn't deny the Lord. He was prepared even to lay down his life for the Lord if it came to that. Didn't he say as much prior to the Savior's betrayal? We read in Mark, Matthew's account of it, Matthew chapter 26, and the words of verse 31. And say, Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Did not come to pass, they all forsook him and fled. Verse 32, But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Lo, all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. 
Peter, you're going to deny me this very night. And he again remonstrates. Peter saith unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Peter didn't know his own heart. Men and women, the Lord knew. And the Lord warned him accordingly. The Savior by this poignant inquiry to him now was to remind him of his bold assertion. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? You remember what you said just a little while ago that you were prepared to lay down your life for me, that you certainly wouldn't deny me? I have to ask you this question, lovest thou me? I wonder is the Lord asking you that this morning, lovest thou me? Oh, you may profess such and may have stated that your love for Christ would never grow cold. But has the Lord caused to inquire of you this morning, lovest thou me, because of your actions, because he knows the intent maybe of your heart this morning? Do you love the Lord? Consider what the Lord appended to this question. Lovest thou me more than these? And you know there's varied opinions as to what uh, that actually refers to. What was the Savior referring to there? Did you ever think about that? It could mean that Peter was saying that he loved the Lord more than the other disciples. I I don't think so. You know that, that, that could refer to the other disciples. Do you love me more than these? But man and woman, I bring you into the context, and I think it's more definitive than that. And the context suggests to me that the Lord was asking Peter, I might be wrong, mind you. I'm not being dogmatic, but I'll simply put it before you. I believe the Lord was asking Peter, do you love me more than the boat, more than the fishing? That was what he stated in verse 3, I'm going to fishing. He had gone back to the old lifestyle. The Savior put his love to the test, was inquiring if he now loved it more than himself and the work of God. You know, there are times when the love for other things encroaches in upon our love for Christ. Solomon loved many wives. His heart was turned from the Lord. His love for God at weighing. Samson was questioned about his love by Delilah. How canst thou say I love thee when thine heart is not with me? He had mocked her three times as concerning the secret of his great strength. Samson had forsaken the separated walk with God. And as right vows, he shouldn't have been in the arms of Delilah. He had forsaken, he had separated from his love for God. What is it that has got into your heart? Maybe has misplaced your love away from the Lord. Do you love Christ more than these? Do you love Christ enough to be in the house of God of a Sabbath evening? Or a Thursday night? Do you love Christ to put him before your work? There's people I've met and they're making excuses about their work. I just ask, do you love Christ more than your earnings and your recreation? And so we could go on. See Peter Peter's response? It's positive. I know that I love thee. 
That's the secret of our true love for Christ. It's the knowledge of knowing that we're pardoned, that we're forgiven of our sins, and we love him, men and women, because he first loved us. And the more we realize that Christ has suffered on the tree, that he's paid our debt to God, a debt that we could never pay, that we are washed through the blood, that we're justified by the blood, then the more we will love him who loved us and gave himself for us. Are you one who truly, truly loves the Lord? I'm not asking, do you love the preacher this morning? I'm not asking, do you love the free church this morning? I want to get to you to focus in on this question. Do you love the Lord? Because that's the inquiry. Then you'll notice the instruction. For each time that uh, the inquiry is made of Simon Peter, of his love for Christ, is followed with instruction. Three times. Was that a little throwback again to three denials? We don't know, but there's a purpose here in the Savior asking Peter such a question. It's because he was commissioning him not Merely to do a work that was secular, but a work that was spiritual. Look at the verse. Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. His instruction was to forsake the boat and the lifestyle of the fishermen and the catching of the fish. He was to leave this all behind. For the Lord had already given him a greater work to do, and that was to be fishers of men. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. You remember it was that place. It was on the seashore that he met with Peter and Andrew, his brother, and they were fishing. And he said, follow me, and I will make thee fishers of men. Now he's back at another seashore. It's interesting the word for lamb that he employs there, feed my lambs. It's only used here in 28 times in the book of the Revelation. Every time it's in connection with Christ. Peter had a work to do, you see, among those who one day would stand in glory saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Those who would overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For Peter, there had to be a leaving of it all. The old fishing had to go. Leaving of all that was near and dear to him. Is that not the teaching of the Lord himself? If you come back to me with me to Luke chapter 14. Look at verse 26. Luke 14, 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. We've got to follow Christ. Holy. To have that true love for Christ, there cannot be at the same time a love for this world. Peter had a work to do. It's beautifully depicted in this whole passage. For at the start of the chapter, as we read it, there is the disciples found in the boat. He's out in the boat fishing. And so in the spiritual sense, the Lord had already called them to fish for souls. Mark Matthew chapter 4. But alas, when they come to the shore, that scene is now changed as the Lord speaks to him. For the Lord speaks no more about the fishing, but he speaks in the context of the shepherd and the sheep. 
The first work of God's servant was to launch out into the deep and let down the nets for a great draft. That's the urgent work that is to be done, whether it be the preacher, whether it be the child of God in the pew that is obeying the great commission. We need the Lord's direction as to how and to where to cast a net. We've cast the nets in a very concentrated effort in the last couple of weeks during our, our gospel mission. We'll continue to do that. But following on, you see, the scene changes to the hillside and to the needs of the flock. And here the Lord was instructing Peter that he had more to do than just to fish for souls. Notice he was to do the work of feeding. Feed my lambs. He's to feed the church of God. Peter was being commissioned to go out and preach the gospel, yes, but also to feed the people of God. You consider the use of the word feed. The shepherd has to feed the sheep, just doesn't buy them in market and throw them in the field. has to feed them. has to do many other things for them. And here's one, there's the feed. In verse 15, feed gives the idea of supplying their spiritual needs. In other words, to give them that which they needed so that they would grow spiritually in Christ. Just as sheep need fed physically. And the shepherd will feed them and he'll fatten them up before he brings them to the market. They need need fed physically. Then so does the people of God. But you see the word feed in verse 16. It's a different Greek word altogether. Feed my lambs, he said. Feed my sheep. The Lord gave the same instruction, but using a different word. It gives more the thought of care, of guidance, of protecting. And that is what the shepherd does to his sheep. He doesn't only feed them. The lambs need fed. But the sheep, they need led. And by the use of these two words, it gave Peter, as it does to ourselves, a complete picture, if you like, of the work that the Lord expects. His instruction concerned the flock of God. The church is the flock of God which is purchased with his own precious blood. That church is made up of all for those whom Christ died on the cross. In this verse, Peter is instructed to feed my lambs. There are those who are young. They're tender in their Christian faith. And they're prone to weakness. That might be the child, but it might also be the adult, of course. And it was to the lambs that the Lord gave all this particular care. I, I, I want to read a lovely verse from Isaiah 40. And it just depicts the Savior as the shepherd again. Verse 11. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. You see, in the eastern setting, they didn't drive the sheep. We might be prone to do that. The dogs get behind the sheep and drive them. But in the eastern setting, the shepherd went in front of the sheep. He led them. And there's a lovely picture of what the Lord does. How needful that the lambs are to be fed and cared for. Christ's little children, Christ's newborn babes who are to be nourished, who are to be comforted, who are to be strengthened by feeding them with the milk of the gospel. These Christ has an interest in and therefore he calls them, Peter, they're my lambs. 
and Christian worker and children's worker this week and this term that lies before them. Do something. Feed the children. Feed the lambs. That's what we need to do. Because in many cases, those lambs that are coming in from the town, they're not getting anything else the rest of the week. Don't tinker around the edges. Please feed the children. And then there are the more mature. And those who are the stronger, they have, to, they have been fed with the, milk, with the meat from the word. That was Peter's instruction. A forgiven, a restored Peter was trusted with the most valuable treasure of Christ on earth. That is what we are trusted with to this day. It is to care for the flock of God. Whether it's the little ones or the more mature in Christ. That's the Savior's instruction. One final little thought. When you notice the implication. There are many who can say that they love Christ. That the Lord would warn of those who draw near unto me with their mouth. And honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But when we look at this very text, then we see the implications of what it is to really, truly love the Lord. If we love the Lord, we'll want to serve him as our master. Peter was been called by his master to do a great work for him. And the test of whether or not he wanted to serve the Lord was his love for Christ. God has such a regard for his people that he will only commit them unto the care of one who loves him. God does not expect you to sit under a dead hen. You've heard that expression, I'm sure, before. There's a lot of believers and they're sitting under dead hens this morning. And I'm referring to the boy with a round collar on. Because they're not saved. And have nothing to offer to the people. God doesn't expect you to sit under that. Because God gives his people even to the care of those who know him and who love him. Love Christ. If you don't really, truly love Christ, then you'll not want to serve him. Indeed, it is the very thing which the Lord showed was a test of discipleship. I'll just take you back into John's Gospel again. John 13, verse 35. You'll know it, maybe. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. The love we have for Christ, his work, and for his people is a sign that we have been with Jesus. And others will know that we're called out ones and that we were his. But if we do not love Christ, then be sure of this, we'll not love the souls of men. The greatest need at the commencement of the autumn's work is more than mere helpers. It is this, do we have a love for Christ primarily? Do we truly love the Lord? Because if we do, then they'll flow from that a love for the souls of the children and the young people. And the unsee of friends and neighbors and, and, and others. And will have a burden to pray for them. And to do the work of God. Does the love of Christ not constrain us men and women? Another implication is that there will be a work to do. Peter had a work to do here. 
He had a work to do. He didn't need to go back to the old boat. And the reality of that love would be that he would go forth at the Lord's bidding to do as well. He was to go forth as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was to sign forth a message of the gospel. And he was to teach and feed the converts of Christ. Not all will be preachers. Yes, we understand that. But know this, that for all of God's people, there's a work to do. You see, we're well uh, able to quote Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And, and rightly so, for by grace are you saved through faith. But you know, verse 10 is just as important. For we are as workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In other words, God has not only saved you by his grace, but he's also given you a work to do, a work individually for you and for me, for every one of God's people. Do you know what the Lord has, has for you to do? Are you willing to devote yourself to that, to the work of searching out for souls, to caring for them in the gospel? There's a work to do, men and women. I said to, I said to somebody yesterday, you know, the mission's over, but the work goes on. Still a work to do, plenty of work to do. The implication, finally, is that we will be doing a worthwhile work for him. Peter toiled all night. He caught nothing. The Saviour challenged him, Lovest thou me more than these? I want you to think how we free us again just for a second. More than these. Picture that scene. You know what all was left of the fish? Was the bones. Because when the Lord asks them this question, they're ready at eating. And you don't eat the bones. It's one of the reasons why some people don't like fish. Too many bones in it. But all that was left of the fish was the bones, the skeleton. But men and women, the Lord wasn't calling him to see nothing but bones and skeletons. But he was calling him to see bones raised from death to life. To witness the Spirit of God breathing new life into them. He was commissioning him to feed those one skeletons and to make them now fat in the gospel. God's work is a worthwhile work. For the least done in his name shall not go unrewarded, even sitting among the children, even sitting on the bus. It's a worthwhile work. It'll not go unrewarded. And what better reward than to see precious souls brought to life through Christ and going on with God. I wonder does the Lord need to ask this question to you, child of God, or to my heart? Or does your life and mine Testify readily and give the answer. Lord, I know that I love thee. Have you not saved this morning? The love of God in Christ was such that he willingly laid down his life on that rugged cross for a guilty, hell-deserving sinner like you. So that you might be saved and that you might have everlasting life. And you see, that's love. 1 John 4 and 10. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent forth His Son to be a propitiation for our sins that He might turn away God's wrath from you because that wrath was laid on Christ on the tree. Do you love Him? You can come to love Him just now. You can be saved right now. I pray that the Lord will speak on 
even to your heart this morning. And the Lord bless his word to each and every soul for his glory's sake. 513. Let's just sing a couple of verses. Blessed is the service of our Lord and keen. Precious are the jewels we may help to bring down the pressing ages. Words of comfort, a counsel ring. He that winneth souls is wise. Let's sing uh, verses 1, 1, 3 and 4. 1, 3 and 4. We'll stand as we sing page 363. 83. Lord, we thank thee for thy word. It has come as a challenge to our hearts. Love us, thou me, more than these. And, O God, we pray that we might truly and be able to readily say, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. We praise the Lord that thou hast loved us first. God so loved the world. Lord, you loved us from eternity past. You gave thine only begotten Son he might redeem us. We thank the Lord for every child of God. We praise the Lord there's a work to be done. And oh God, thy work is worthwhile. And he that winneth souls is wise. Lord, make us soul winners. Oh God, we pray that thou might use us, Lord. Not only the preacher, but Lord, thy people. Thou would use us in these days. 
that we might reach others, that we might, Lord, feed even the sheep. Oh God, be pleased to bless even this week among the boys and girls. We pray, Lord, that they might be reached and they might be fed. Be with us, Lord, as we part for a little season. Those that cannot remain, undertake for them. Bless those that do, even around thy table. Abide with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.